Thank you so much. Thank you, Aaron, and to our praise band. They came in from the snow, and uh, we appreciate them sharing the worship today. We're glad that you're here. We appreciate you coming and uh, being a part of worship. We also recognize uh, some of those 830 people that are here, and we appreciate you coming. A little rock and roll Jesus won't hurt you, will it? Come on. We appreciate it. Glad that you're here today as well, and uh, we appreciate those that are live streamed. This is one of those days that we may have more uh, watching live stream uh, than we do actually in the, in person, but that's okay, and we appreciate that, and maybe a, a shout out to those who make that possible so that we can have quality live streaming, because probably you've been one of those, and uh, we had to do that for a while, about a year and a half ago, but uh, all of us are watching live stream, but uh, you've been a part of that, and not everybody has the same quality that we do, so we appreciate that uh, as well. Uh, we appreciate uh, Darian and Sarah sharing with us today, and we are supporters of Women's Hope, and we continue to pray for that ministry, and many of our church members have been a part of that by physically being there and helping, even nurses, and, and uh, we know that we support that financially and through prayers as well, uh, and uh, so we, we are thankful for all of these things. I'm, I'm uh, thankful for these gentlemen who were baptized today. They will always remember that they were baptized on a snowy day in Alabama, and not many people will say that because how many times have we had a snowy day in Alabama that we kept the church open? And uh, today we did. So we, they'll always remember and be one of the few probably be a part of that. Well, and, and I must take just a little bit of personal liberties, I guess, and say I'm thankful all of my immediate family is in the house today. And appreciate them coming, being part of our worship today. That has not happened for about five years since there was a wedding here about that time. So we appreciate uh, my children, appreciate my daughter Jody, who moved back uh, here to Auburn just not too long ago. And she works in uh, one of the law offices here in town. And uh, we are proud and appreciate her, appreciate my daughter Julie, who's been serving at North Shelby Baptist Church in Chelsea, Alabama. Uh, appreciate her, we're proud of her as well. My son-in-law, Connor, they are, the reason they're here today is because this is one of those in, rare in-between Sundays. Eight days from now, he will be the pastor at uh, Hollinger's Island Baptist Church in Mobile. And so I'm asking for your prayers as they go uh, as well. And then uh, proud of him and uh, looking forward to uh, watching his ministry uh, there in Mobile as well. And so, and of course, we've got uh, a two-year-old a two and a four-month-old, Robert and Abigail. And uh, they are the most incredible grandchildren probably ever. I know some of you think that yours are, and that's okay as well. And so we're just excited and appreciate your prayers for them. We're continuing. Speaking of, that would be a good introduction as we talk about it's all about relationships from the book of Ruth. If you've not already found Ruth chapter 2, I'd appreciate you finding that. Ruth chapter 2, and we're going to be kind of walking through those verses. Hey, it's cold outside. I don't know if you've noticed or not, so we're just going to... We've had a good time, wonderful time of worship. We're just going to kind of settle in here for a few minutes and talk about this uh, particular episode in the life and the book of Ruth. For some of you, this is a very familiar story. Uh, for others, you know of Ruth perhaps, and uh, for all of us, hopefully that we can either be reminded of some of the truths that we find in the book of Ruth or uh, maybe even discover some new things that are there for us today, particularly as we talk about how our relationships, and we know that those all come about our relationship with the Lord. If you have your Bibles open, some of the scripture will be on our screen there as well, but just want to read to you maybe to begin with the first couple of verses. Ruth, uh, maybe not the first couple, but verse 2 and verse 3. Ruth chapter 2, let's begin with verse 2 and then we'll read verse 3 as well. It says, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. 
And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to a part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word today. Uh, actress Sandra Bullock was asked, Sandra Bullock of the blind side, Miss Congeniality and about 100,000 other movies probably perhaps, but she was asked one time, what was the dumbest question that anybody has ever asked her? And she said, well, I was asked by a reporter, I assume it was before she was married, she was asked what she did to attract a man. And she said, well, I simply walk up to him, I touch my hair, and I say, I have millions of dollars in the bank and I'm single. And poof, it works every time. Imagine that. Well, this story that we read with Ruth, it is a love story. But the story of Ruth is not necessarily about how single women can attract men. However, I do think if you pay attention that you may find maybe some lessons even in that area to that effect. But it's about how if we can trust in God, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you've already trusted Him for salvation how it is today that we might be able to trust Him for all of the other needs that we have in life. Because we know that the Lord not only gives us a salvation, but He loves us enough for that, but He loves us enough to take care of all of our physical needs, to help take care of our emotional, our uh, mental, and our spiritual well-being as well. And we can trust Him to guide our relationships. For no matter your situation in life, whether you're single, whether you're single again, whether you're remarried, married, young or old, the story of Ruth is a story of God's grace and His intentional love and direction given to all who will put their faith in Him. Even if you, have, even if you feel you have failed, even if you feel unloved or without direction, I want you to watch today as we look at this part of the story of Ruth about the unfolding grace of God. And as we listen to this familiar story, the second chapter of Ruth, it will remind us to keep our eyes on the Lord and Savior to provide for our needs and to give the direction that we need in life. Because as we were talking these few weeks about relationships, we know that all of our relationships will be affected by our relationship with the Lord Jesus. Now we also recognize there may be some that are here today some who are watching live stream that may not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior and you've not begun that relationship. And we certainly hope and pray that that is the case today, that today you'll begin that relationship with Him. So we're invited today to come out of the snow and instead come into the fields uh, there near Bethlehem with Ruth as she makes her way through the fields. And as we do, we're going to learn with Ruth and through God's Word, and we're going to glean many lessons needed to grow in love and faith. And as we glean these lessons, as we pick up these lessons along the way that are meant for us to pick up today, we're also going to be able to see pictures of Jesus. And so I want you to be paying attention. We're going to work our way through the story, and you look for those pictures as well. And we know that Naomi has come back to Bethlehem after being in the land of Moab. Her husband and her two sons have died. She's brought back with her a daughter-in-law who had come to be well-known among those who study and read the Bible. But for now, she's simply Ruth the Moabitess. She's from the land of Moab, a foreigner, but not just a foreigner. She was part of the people who were enemies of the Israelites, and she's returned with Naomi. And because Naomi has lost all of her family, now she feels bitter. She has said, chapter one, now she feels bitter. She feels that God is getting her back maybe for the things that she has done or that he has abandoned her. But 
we learn from chapter one, not only has he not abandoned her, but God is always with her. God always gives us better than we deserve. And he promises to never leave us nor forsake us. We might remember the final words that Jesus said to his disciples, and surely I'll be with you always, even to the very end of the age. Ruth, on the other hand, she has made the decision that she has followed her mother-in-law to Bethlehem, one because of her affection for Naomi, and because she has chosen to follow Naomi's God. Now her choice, as far as she knows, is gonna be a tough life. They've come back poverty-stricken, and also being a foreigner, they've come probably gonna not be treated very well. And so she's left the land of Moab, and she's chosen most, most people who have those kind of options, and they think how bad life's going to be if I do this, or if I follow, even follow God. Most people probably will choose the easier way. But for Ruth, she had settled the matter when she followed Naomi and chose the harder life of following the God of Israel. And inside the city of Bethlehem, the small city of Bethlehem, these two widows, after finding a place to reside, they have now kind of go about the business of surviving. Two poor widows, knowing life would not be easy. You know, while in those days there was no official welfare agency, there were no food stamps to be given out, there was no presidential health care act, God had provided a way, though, for the poor, the widows, and the foreigners to have some help. In fact, he instructed the Israelites, an agricultural society, when they would, would come and they would harvest the land, that they would always to leave some for the, the Scripture tells us in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, they would leave some particularly for the poor, the widows, and the foreigners, that they might be able to glean that which was left behind. Poor widows and foreigners. Boy, here was Ruth. She hit the trifecta. She's all three of them. And so uh, think about the brilliancy of that plan. Of course, it's brilliant because it was from God. God had instructed them to do that because in order to be able to help people because they would leave these behind and it wasn't a handout. It would take work for them to be able to come and to be able to get what they needed. Would that we could have such a plan to help the poor of our society today. Of course, one of the problems was that not every Israelite was willing to follow God's command on this thing or the other help the poor, the widows, and maybe certainly, maybe even not the foreigners. So one morning, we read just a moment ago, verses two and three, uh, Ruth asked Naomi, may I go out into the fields today to see if I can find favor from someone who allow me to pick up the heads of grain after the harvesters have gone through the field. Now notice that word favor. That word favor means kindness and grace. Now we don't really know Naomi's attitude, but simply said, she said, go, my daughter. But Naomi still at this time doesn't seem to expect much to come from Ruth's attempt. You, you've heard the phrase, it's easier to get permission than forgiveness. Well, that's not what Ruth did. In fact, it says she went and she asked permission that she might be able to go into the fields. And it may have been that she did not get permission on every field in which she had come across. And it may have been that as she's asking permission, she may have been turned down a number of times from people who were not following God's commands or maybe particularly didn't want to help a foreigner like her. But the fact that she would go out and seek to glean in the fields at all showed that she had the faith of a new believer in God. She was naive enough to think that if God had a way of providing in the scriptures for someone in her predicament, that he would come through for her. He'd not let her down. Remember the New Testament book of James says faith without works is dead. If that's true and all scripture is true, then true faith will lead to action. And when Ruth took those first steps on the fields outside Bethlehem, she was publicly proclaiming her faith in God. 
And when you face the storms of life on the seas of despair, you've heard the phrase that maybe you need, to, you need to pray toward heaven for sure, but you also need to row toward shore. So you've got your notes there, and I don't want you to miss this. May you be so naive in the faith that you would trust God's love for you and know that He will provide for your every need. Because if we put our faith in God, if it's true faith, well, we need to, we'll act on that faith. When I say that uh, Ruth had a naive faith, I, I really mean that as a compliment. Well, I've seen it time and time again when people, new people have come into the church or new members and new believers and they're excited about the church and they're excited about, uh, uh, they're, they're excited about their new faith maybe that they have in the Lord and they, they want more. So I've seen them, not only do they come to worship, they find themselves, they want to be involved in Sunday school, they may come Wednesday night to a prayer meeting, men's ministries, women's ministries, but they begin to look around and they realize most of those people who come on Sunday morning are not necessarily involved in all the other things. Well, now they know. And maybe as a new believer, everybody knows about tithes and offerings, so they begin to give generously to the church. And as they do, they begin to have new friends, a new peer group, and somewhere along the line, they realize that uh, not everybody gives so generously to the church, and not everybody's put their trust to know that God can take care of everything that is left over. But now they're kind of wise up a little bit. And these new Christian and church members and like family members and friends, and they share their faith with others and they tell about the exciting things that are happening in their life and they somewhere along the line they realize well not every church member is doing that not everybody who's a believer necessarily invites people to church not everybody necessarily tells other people about goodness my goodness they don't know any better they just so they just start living for Jesus and they just start trusting God will provide after all they're naive in the faith we could tell them a thing or two couldn't we do me a favor if you're not so naive in the faith or not so naive in the faith anymore and you wised up and you know better than trust, to trust God wholeheartedly, let's keep that part to yourself. Well, ask him for permission. Verse three says that she happened on the field of Boaz. A little bit more than we could talk a lot about that verse, happened. It was more than just by coincidence. Now, if you don't know Boaz or you may know Boaz, you may know that he is a relative of Ruth's husband and Naomi's husband and there'll be some responsibility that we'll talk about in a later time. In chapter two and verse one, if you still got your Bibles open, we're gonna look at other verses as well. Chapter two and verse one, it says he was a worthy man, sometimes translated as he was a mighty man of valor. Same thing was, same description was used of Gideon in the Old Testament. Usually that would mean that he was a mighty warrior. But in this case, he was a man of property and wealth, able to survive the recent famine, but it carries the idea of a man of integrity and generosity. And here's the important part. He's a single man. He may be the most eligible bachelor in Bethlehem. He would have made the latest Bethlehem edition of People's Magazine probably. Now, Remember the time of this. This was the time of the judges. We talked about it a little bit last week, and it's a, it, judges were a dark time spiritually. Here was a spiritual man. He was a generous man. He would have stood out. And while from Ruth's perspective, it's just another field and landowner that she happened to finally get permission. From a heavenly perspective, it was a di divine appointment for had this not happened, there would be no star over Bethlehem. There would be no wise men bringing gifts. There would be no shepherds who were abiding in fields nearby coming to see the Christ child. There would have been no 
cry of the Christ child heard in this very same city. Albeit God, God could have used whatever means so he desired, but this is what he chose. And by now, even if you're hearing this story, you happen to come across this now and you've heard us talk about Bethlehem. By now, you know you put two and two together. We've said Bethlehem enough that you know the connection. We're, we're simply telling you the story of the ancestors of Mary and Joseph. It's a story bigger than itself, something that happened more than a millennium before Jesus would be born in the flesh. God was providing for Ruth, but also for you and me. And we might imagine that scene in heaven. Let's just take time to talk about it for just a moment. From an earthly perspective, if we're imagining the scene in heaven, maybe when this is taken over, maybe all the angels and the angelic host are watching what's taking place and they see Ruth going from field to field. Maybe she, they think she's getting a little discouraged because she's not on, haven't been given permission yet. And then uh, they're thinking, but they're saying, not that field. No, not that one. He's got something better in mind. And then maybe... She comes to the field of Boaz. They say, yeah, that's the field. Maybe she hesitates for just a moment and all the heavenly host, all the angelic host, maybe hold their breath for just a moment and then she goes into the field of Boaz and then there's an hallelujah chorus, maybe some heavenly high fives and they understand the significance of what's taking place here and there's a sigh of relief. But they know the truth of a verse that had not been even written on earth yet for all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. All of these seemingly unrelated events and tragedies, even unwise decisions, all the famine that took place in the move to Moab, untimely deaths, the faith of a foreign daughter-in-law, all were pieces of the puzzle that were coming together. God is great enough to use them all as a part of His plan. It's good to know that God is at work firsthand in the events of our lives and events all around us. We probably can relate more to Ruth than maybe some of the other heroes in the Bible. Here's why I think that is. Think about how God spoke to some of the people in the Bible. Sometimes it was with an audible voice. You remember Moses was at the burning bush in the book of Daniel's handwriting on the wall. Sometimes it was through dreams and through visions and... and these are, not that God doesn't still do that, but these are rarer today than I think they were in the Old Testament for two reasons. One, because Jesus has come who is the living word and also now because we have the written word that is taking place. So not many of us experience some of those things, but Ruth didn't have any of these kinds of communications with God. How did she happen to be, happen to be in the right place at the right time to be able to be used by God? Yes, he was being led by the Lord in a providential manner, which is beyond our understanding. But she was also walking by faith, believing in the promises and the provision of God. How could she not wind up doing the right thing? Are, are we getting a clue here of how this, we might relate this to our own lives? If you and I will walk by faith in the promises and the provision of God, daily confessing and submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you cannot help but wind up in the right place at the right time and doing the right stuff. So if you follow along in your notes and you get to that little second section, you got three blanks, right, right, and right needs to go in each one of them. Right time, right place, doing the right thing and the right stuff. When it comes to choices in this life, can we make wrong decisions? Yes. Hey, I think probably we make more wrong decisions than we make right decisions. But we trust that if we're submitting to the Lordship of Jesus, truly seeking to please Him, He will move us back in the right path. 
He'll close door after door. Not that field, not that field, this door. Why? I'm getting discouraged. Lord, what is it you want me to do to get you just in the right place? Is your God powerful enough to do that? Mine is. When I read the stories of the Bible, many people found the right direction, sometimes even after unwise decisions and mistakes. God often used the unwise choice for his purposes as well. Uh, the baptism today, for some reason it reminds me of uh, when I baptized my grandfather at the age of 80. I was much younger then, and, uh, and I remember he wanting to be baptized and him wanting to be obedient to the Lord in baptism, how important that was particularly to him. Also remember going fishing a lot with my grandfather when I was very young. And this is what I remember about those fishing times. And because uh, I always wanted to catch fish, but I spent most of my time calling on my grandfather to get me unhooked from something, from myself, off that log, off that branch, uh, getting tangled up with another line. I don't remember him doing a lot of fishing, but I do remember yelling for help. And he'd say, for heaven's sake, Jeffrey, what have you done now? And so, but he always came through. He always came to the rescue, was always, uh, always helping me back and, and to be untangled, get me hooked on a log. He taught me this. If you get your line in the water, you're more likely to catch fish. And I certainly believe that that's true, probably in a lot of things. And you know uh, that as well. But also taught me something. How many times, no matter how many times you mess up, no matter how many times you get tangled up, if you get untangled with the Lord's help, you can be at the right time in the right place. You can count on God. He will get you untangled and back in line. So here's following you. If you get back in line enough, you'll wind up at the right place at the right time to be used by God for his purposes. Well, Ruth is at the right place and the stage is set for one of the great love stories in biblical history. Boaz is late to the field that morning. As he's coming in, if we're imagining, and I hope that by now you're imagining what's taking place. We're walking with Ruth through the fields. and Don't you imagine Boaz must have come riding along on a white stallion? He runs a godly farm. And I'll tell you why. Because verse 4 tells us that as he come in, he, they respect him. He greets his workers. The Lord be with you. They're greeting back. The Lord bless you. It didn't take him long to notice a stranger among the workers. Being a particularly generous man, he probably attracted many of the poor of the city, maybe some of the same ones every year. So he noticed somebody was different that wasn't usually there. Also, the fact that she was a foreigner. Uh, and, but there's something more that he sees in her. The name Ruth cannot be translated into one word. It means uh, beauty, discretion, class. And Boaz looked at Ruth for the first time. He saw something more than a stranger or a foreigner. To use a fishing term, the most eligible bachelor in Bethlehem was hooked. And it was love at first sight. And he goes to the foreman of the workers and he wants to ask about her, but maybe he doesn't want to seem too obvious. So he just asks one question in order to get all of his answers. Verse 5, literally it says, to whom does this young woman belong? And from this one question, all of his questions will be answered. Who is she? Where does she come from? Is she... She married. The foreman answers the question in verses 6 and 7. She's the one who came with Naomi from Moab. She's the one everybody's been talking about. She asked this morning if she could glean in the fields behind the workers. Has been working all morning till now, taking only a short rest. Boaz is smitten. He likes her. And she's available. And he makes the first move. Now, 
he approaches her wanting to secure her favor and really make it where he'll see her again. So he, verse nine, he approaches her, said, I would think it would be best for you to work in this field, stay with the women after the harvesters have worked. I've told them not to bother you. Or in some translations, I've told them not to touch you. Verse nine may have been the first required working class on sexual harassment and racial equality in the workplace. If that didn't get her attention, he said, if you're thirsty, you know, the men over there would have drawn some water. You drink from the water that the men have drawn. Okay, we've got to do this quickly, but I want you to know, if you, have you gleaned anything about Jesus? Take a look. I'm not necessarily in your notes, but let's look at Boaz and see if you see reflections of Jesus. We'll call it a foreshadowing of Jesus. People who are like Christ in the Old Testament called a type of Christ before the New Testament. Boaz was not Jesus, but like Boaz, Jesus notices us first. Jesus made the initiative toward us. Jesus provides generously. You now Ruth is overwhelmed by Boaz's generosity. She falls to the ground face first and asks in verse 10, why have you taken notice of me and bestowed favor on me? For I am a foreigner. Again, the word favor means grace or kindness. So like Boaz, Jesus gives favor and grace or even more than Boaz. Boaz answers her question, but only partially. He said, oh, in verse 11, he he says, oh, I've heard how you've taken care of your mother-in-law and, and you've left your mother and father the land of your birth. You come to a land that you did not know. All that he said was true, but if he had been totally honest, he might have said, and I think you're the most gorgeous hunk of woman I've ever seen. How about a movie and a pizza Friday night? But that would have to wait. He did add a prayer in verse 12. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz's prayer reminds us that it's more than a love story. So again, in your notes, the Lord provides refuge for all those who come under his wings. It's a picture of a hen protecting her her chicks. Jesus wept over Jerusalem and used the same Analogy. It, while Boaz was not her savior, God would use Boaz to be her protector. The psalmist said, I will trust in the shelter of your wings. Ruth said in verse 16, I found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you've comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Some translations say, so I, I am lower than your servants, she said. Her genuineness and humility captivated Boaz. And at lunchtime, he invited her to sit with him and the workers she ate of the bread, dipped in the wine vinegar with his own hand. He gave her roasted grain. She ate her fill and had plenty left over. Boaz did one other thing in this chapter, which you don't want to miss. So hang, hang in there if you can, verses 15 and 16. He says to his workers, even if she gathers among the sheaves, not harvests, says, don't stop her, don't reproach her, don't embarrass her. Rather, pull out extra sheaves that are not whole bundles for her to gather and don't stop her. And Ruth gleaned until evening. She prepared it and it measured an ephah. Everybody knows how much an ephah is. It's about 30 pounds. Actually an amazing amount for one day. Be enough for them to be able to eat for at least two weeks. And when she arrived home, showed it all to Naomi, plus what she had from lunch. Naomi asked a series of questions that shows her surprise in verse 19. Are you still following along in these verses? Where did you glean today? Where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. 
Oh, forgive me, but I kind of see this as uh, maybe like a ladies' talk show. Honey child, where did you work today? Blessed be the man who noticed you. I know that's right. Uh, now, I forget, I say forget, because I've never actually seen a ladies' talk show. I just imagine maybe that they talk like this. But there begins to be a change in the Naomi and Ruth home. Ruth told her about uh, the events of the day where she'd been working and everything that took place. Naomi had to be thinking, what is his name? It's a small town. She knows everybody. And then finally, Ruth said, his name is Boaz. And Naomi rejoices, for she knows that there's hope for Ruth and the family. Verse 20, Naomi said, may be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living of, or, the, or the dead. And Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Let's let that sink in for just a moment. You know that part where... Uh, Boaz tells his workers, get some big bundles and put them right there so she'll not miss those bundles. I don't know what you're gleaning today so far, but this is one that you ought not be able to miss. Like Boaz will redeem Ruth and her property, Jesus redeems us for eternity. It's another picture of Jesus that we see in this chapter. Ruth said, that's not all. He told me to come back every day until the harvest is over and follow his servant girls. Naomi perhaps would have said, you go, girl. And maybe that's the paraphrase, actually, of verse 22. See if that's not what she's saying. It is good, my daughter, that you go with this young woman, lest in another field you be assaulted. Naomi reminds Ruth of stranger danger and everything she says is true. But do you think she has something else in mind? See, Naomi has now caught a glimpse of God's plan that God is always at work. And by the way, even if you don't think you see the glimpse of God's plan for you and in your life, you can always know that it is always, God is always at work. And she sees that glimpse and she becomes a bit of a matchmaker. Between God and Naomi, poor Boaz, he's not going to have a chance. And I share this with you in this way because truly there's a change of atmosphere and a change of heart where God is at work and where we know God is at work. Now, God could do something to where you see, yes, I see God at work here, there, and everywhere. And if we pay attention, we will see. But even when you don't see it, it is by faith that we can know, we can understand there can be a change of heart, change of atmosphere, and joy because we know that God is always at work. Chapter ends, Ruth staying in the fields, not only through the barley harvest, but also through the wheat harvest. If you look back at the last verse in chapter 1, Ruth 1, it actually says that they came there at the beginning of the barley harvest, which had been the end of February. Harvest would have, had, would have gone through March and April. And then the wheat harvest would have been through June and July. I only make this point, one, because the writer of this book made the point, but also because this was a season. This is a story that unfolds within a period of months. It begins with tragedy, three funerals, two widows, and poverty, bitter beginning, but within the season, God has revealed himself and there is hope. And this is not the end of the, this love story. There's more in the next chapter. As if to say, no matter what tragedy or poverty or bitter circumstances, wait, watch, and work because God's love continues. It never stops. There's another love story. It is the love story that was communicated when God sent his only begotten son and to be born into this very same city 
so that we might be offered grace and forgiveness, so that we might know everlasting life, and so that we might be able to know what it is to walk with Jesus and be able to know Him today. And we understand it's the greatest story of all time. All true love relationships on earth reflect the love Christ has for you. Have you responded to the love story that Jesus has sent to you, or do you think it's something that you still need to do? If it's something that you still need to do, then I want to encourage you to not leave this place, not to let this hour be up without first calling upon Christ and asking Him to forgive you of all your sins and asking Jesus to come in. One of the great love stories of a little more modern era is that of Elizabeth Browning and Robert Browning, both English poets. Elizabeth Barrett Browning, you know what they wrote, whether you know that you know or not, because one of her most famous is, How Do I Love Thee? Let Me Count the Ways. When they were married, Elizabeth's parents disowned her. And Robert and Elizabeth moved far away from Britain. They moved to Florence, Italy. And for 10 years, Elizabeth Barrett Browning wrote love story, love, well, it was love. She wrote uh, love letters to her parents hoping that they would be reconciled and that 10 years went by. Several times a week she would write them. Finally, after 10 years, a package came from her parents and for the moment she was so excited that she had received a package from her parents, but that was short-lived. The joy was short-lived for inside were all the letters that she had written unopened. And as a poet, her letters of reconciliation were eloquent indeed. They have since been published many times over and called some of the most beautiful and expressive in all of English literature. But her parents never read them. Jesus Christ went to extreme measures to let us know how much he loved us, to give his love to a lost world, and to those who even become followers of Jesus to let you know how much he loves you, and he wants us to be able to know that, how tragic it is, how it heart is broken when his offer of love is rejected and unopened. His love letter is the Bible. His proof of love is the manger, the cross, and the empty tomb. Will you respond to his love today? Elizabeth Barrett Browning wrote, How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. How much does Jesus love you? Enough to provide salvation for all eternity. If he loved you enough to provide salvation for all eternity, then he loves you enough to provide for your every need and to put you in the right direction and lead you in that way. Enough to provide salvation, your every need, and lead you in the right direction. Jesus loves us enough. He wants to bring a different atmosphere to your life. He wants to bring a different atmosphere and a different heart for your home and even for this church. Will you trust him and trust his love for you today? Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you this day that we can come into your house and we thank you for this opportunity of worship. Many things this past hour have taken place and, uh, from worship to baptism to hearing about wonderful ministry in Jesus' name and proclamation and prayers. We, we pray, Father, that you may be, continue to be at work. Help us to know how much you love us. Help us to be ready to respond to that love. And we thank you, Father, for we know that it continues on and on and it will never stop. And we pray, Father, if there's one here that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, one listening live stream, that you're, we know that you're speaking to them now, working on their heart. 
so that they may come to know Jesus even today. And Father, we pray that all of us, whether we've been far away and we need to be brought closer, whether we're seeking to walk with you, we need to be reminded to stay committed to you out of that love relationship. We pray that you'll be at work today. It's in Christ's name we lift these prayers. Amen.